Welcome back to the Village Church Podcast Show, episode 13. This is Josh Patterson, joined here with Matt Chandler after a little summer break. It is good to be back. Definitely good to be back. Like to rest, but like to work more. Yeah. We uh, we work to rest and rest to work. That's Right? Yeah. Work hard, play hard, as we, we simplified in the Chandler House. Work hard, play hard. You guys coined that? I don't think we did. But, did you use it? But I use it, and I haven't told my family that I didn't come up with that. So if you're listening to this, maybe I didn't come up with that, guys. Maybe not. Well, regardless, it is good to be back and uh, enjoy the break. But we got a lot to cover today on the show. We're going to be talking a little bit about specifically, Matt, you were on sabbatical this summer. We want to hit the high points on that, get a couple of things that the Lord did in your heart and over the season. And I think it'd be encouraging just to share that and talk a little bit about where we're going as a church in terms of sermon series with the Apostles' Creed, which launches here uh, this next weekend. And so that'll be fun to talk about. And then Really excited to have Karen Swallow Pryor join us on the show, and we'll introduce her here in a little bit. But let's uh, let's start with your sabbatical. How was it, buddy? You know what? Uh, I'm, first, I'm just grateful to God uh, for the elders and the men and women at the Village Church that would afford me um, eight weeks off, really, to spend with my family and to rest and to um, create space for clarity in my relationship with the Lord and uh, so it was awesome. I, I, we spent the first week, I spent the first week up in Nashville, just met with uh, a biblical counselor just to kind of look into my own heart and mind. And uh, it was a profound week for me in regards to clarity and, and some insight into, uh, I don't know if I call them hitches or, or some things that I just couldn't, I couldn't fix them with the tools I had in my back might right. be the, the the best way to say it. And um, so, so that was great. And then, man, we rested well and spent a lot of time together with the family. It, it, as I think about my daughter being 12 and uh, my son being nine and my youngest daughter being six, to have really seven full weeks where we were in each other's space 24-7, um, that, that was a real gift from the Lord to our family. So, man, I'm I'm glad to be back, excited. It kind of yesterday, you know, right. uh, our long day, Tuesday, it really hit me, man. I forgot the pace at which we run here. I felt really tired yesterday, which was I was like, wow, I just got back. I'm already tired. But, Welcome back. Uh, yeah, but but then today, this morning, of course, just hearts full at the thought of uh, the Denton transition and how gracious and good Christ has been to us. And um, so, yeah, I'm I'm glad to be back. And the sabbatical was awesome. Yeah, maybe we can unpack this uh, at some other podcast show. But just the idea of a sabbatical and one, I, I'm encouraged at how you stewarded that time and how you used that time. Uh, specifically, and then just being able to—I know you turned your phone off. Yeah. Uh, you got a flip phone, which flip was phone awesome. All summer, eight weeks of a flip phone, which was a nightmare. Text messaging. Well, you. here, here's what I've, I've got some pride in me. I didn't know I had. Like I, I always try to fight my pride. I, I, understand. Well, I knew you had it. That's well, why I was excited. Yeah, you were going, going to see that counselor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, like I would—I'd be at the airport and I wouldn't want to pull the flip phone out. Everybody'd be staring at their phone. I was like, I, first of all, I have nothing to stare at at this phone. Secondly, um, I feel like a giant dork. With a flip phone. And and your responses were, K. <laughs> well, yeah, dude. And, yes. that, and I pressed the button seven times to get that K. And then group texts were non-existent. So, Nightmare. But it was good. I know it was a good break for you. And, and, just, and I said this uh, with the staff today, and I'll say it here, just, just to know and to be able to see um, what the Lord did in you this summer uh, and hearing more of that and, and you being able to articulate that to me. Uh, with a little bit more detail, it was it was really encouraging well, to see God. that and watch that. And 
Uh, and so I'm, I'm super grateful and as always glad that you're back. It's not the same without you, but knowing that, that that was a short break so that you get back and run. Yeah. And so, and, and praise God for the very, very gifted men that filled the pulpits while I was out. I mean, they, we listened to the Lauren and I listened to those sermons and just some tremendously gifted men of God on this staff that can preach the word. And, and I'm looking forward to watching those brothers go out and plant their own churches Amen. and, and Amen. do all that God has for them. Speaking of uh, sermons, we're about to launch a new sermon series. I want you to talk about that just a little bit. The Apostles Creed, what, what drove that? Well, I can already feel the emails being written to me about how we should have no creed but the Bible. Right. So let me let me just go ahead and go. I, just I know that's coming. I, I understand. And and the creeds have their weaknesses. I know what they are and I know what they're not. Uh, I think where the creeds are helpful uh, is, is they kind of show us where the church has historically made some pretty massive errors and, and the laundries had to be clean. And so N.T. Wright, which I know I'm just quoting that now, is also going to give me another set of emails. Um, N.T. Wright would say that the creeds are the clothesline of Christianity. You can see what needed to be washed. You could see what got dirty and needed to be cleaned. And so uh, love the Apostles' Creed for all of its kind of confusion and, you know, descended into hell. What does that mean? Right. And what about the life of Christ? There's no mention of it. Uh, because it really does give us a concise picture of the nature and character of God and the mission that God has given uh, to his people. And so uh, I think to to give that to the people of the village in a way where they can learn some real deep things about the nature and character of God in, in a way that they can memorize. And, and that, 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 that can become a type of, oh, that can't be true because I know this is true. Right. Uh, and that's a real help. For sure. That's a real help. And, and, man, let's just not lose sight that the creeds are biblical theology. Yeah, we're, um, we're, lo- we're using the creed to launch into the scriptures yeah, absolutely. to see about the nature and the character of God. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it'll bless uh, our church for sure, and I'm excited about that. And uh, I said this at the beginning, but really excited to bring on uh, Dr. Pryor just to have a conversation with us uh, about uh, a myriad of things because she can pretty much speak into anything. So uh, She's smarter than us. She's smarter than us. So let's hope that we get through this together. Okay, it's good to be back. As we said earlier, Dr. Karen Swallow Pryor is with us. She is a professor of English at Liberty University and the author of, of two great books that, that I know of. The first is Booked, Literature and the Soul of Me, and then her latest, Fierce Convictions, The Extraordinary Life of Hannah Moore, Poet, Reformer, Abolitionist. She's also the research fellow or a research fellow for the ERLC and a regular writer blogger for, and, and I love this, <laughs> the gospel. Coalition, The Atlantic, and Christianity Today. Only Karen Swallow Pryor can can write for those three simultaneously. And so really to just wrap it up, here's the thing. She's smarter than us. Yep. Uh, we confessed that and, earlier. And you, like like you listening, she's just smarter than you. And so we're <laughs> glad to have her on. Welcome, Karen. It's good to welcome, have you. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for having me. So I, I would love... I would love to talk about – I was really moved by your first book, Booked, Literature and the Soul of Me. And and I think as much as the men and women I'm around love to read, it's a rare thing um, for for men and women, at least in, in the field I'm in, uh, of being a pastor and, and, and kind of leader in ministries and nonprofits that – that go back to kind of the classic literature uh, of our day to be shaped and formed, molded. Can, can you speak a little bit about how literature shapes the soul uh, and the mind of men and women? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I grew up in the church. I grew up uh, as, a, as a Baptist, and um, and I actually, you know, I, I loved books since I was a little girl, and, and I loved the challenge that they posed to me and the worlds they created. And, and I actually felt growing up, obviously this was, was a wrong message, but somehow it was a message that I got, that, that, you know, I could either love God or I could love books, and there the twain should meet. And and um, so I felt like from reading books I could learn uh, not only intellectual and emotional lessons, but even spiritual lessons that weren't really being covered in church and Sunday school. And so for a long time that was actually my struggle. My struggle, I felt like I had to choose between God and, and books, and it wasn't until... I was into my, my graduate studies as a Ph.D. student that I really began to see how God is the author of books because, you know, he is the word, Christ is the word, and that um, God revealed himself to me through books. And, and so as I began to knit those two things back together, that, that became the germ that, that resulted in this book, Booked Literature in the Soul of Me. So, Karen, let me put you on the spot. I love this. Um... Give me some books that have profoundly shaped you. And so I know this is an unfair question. It's like, what's your favorite movie? And I'm not, and you have to pick. But give me <laughs> or some favorite German short hair pointer. Yeah, just Ruby, <laughs> right? You know, Ruby, Ruby's, Ruby's the baby. <laughs> Ruby's no, the baby. All my favorite. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, favorite book, Karen. What? Give me, give us, give us a book that you just say this. You can't go Bible. Yeah, this this oh, shapes me. Okay, well, and I, uh, so I'll say the, book, the single most book that shaped me the most, because I have different categories for, for my favorites, would probably be Jane Eyre, which I write about in books, because it's really, it's about a woman who is learning how to be herself as opposed to the people around her who wanted her to be something else. And that's important, but it's what a lot of people who might have been exposed to that uh, novel once or twice in their lives don't realize is that it's also, Jane Eyre is a Christian book. Jane Eyre is a Christian, and the temptations that she faced to not be herself were actually temptations for her to betray the person that God created her to be. And so in that book, that, that tension that I just described growing up and feeling like I couldn't love God and love books, um, that's that's embodied in the in the novel Jane Eyre, and not only that. I mean, it's just a, it's a wonderful story. It's a, it's it's a, it's got something for everyone. Something for the romantic, something for the anti-romantic, something for men, something for women. It's 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 a love story, but it's not. It doesn't have you know the the unrealistically um, sappy ending. So I would say that that book really helped me to discover who I God created me to be, and to embrace that person and be that person in full. Now, did so you? My, so, my first second, second unfair question: Did you see the movie, and was the movie as good as the book? I have seen a few of the of the film versions, and um, most of them are very good. The, the, the last two, I think, that were made <laughs> in the most recent years, are good. But of course, it's it's an ad- adaptation, and yeah. film is a different medium, and yeah. so they are good films, but they're none of them are as good as the book. <laughs> yeah, she wrote a book, Matt, called Booked, not Filmed. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But now are you working on a well, book called Filmed, though? No, but actually, if I can tell you tell you the secret, I actually got the idea for Booked because of a book called How Movies Help Save My Soul. 
And okay. I, I read that book and, and I thought, wow, somebody should write a book like this about books. And my working title was How Literature Helped Save My Soul, which of course the publisher changed, but that actually was the, the seed of, of, the, of the book. <laughs> so um, yeah, there are no original ideas out there, but that was, that was my adaptation of, of that That's, that's what I tell our congregation every weekend. There are no more original ideas out there. I'm just going <laughs> to call this series James. <laughs> so um, also it, and I, my wife and I just had such a good time reading through Fierce Convictions and uh, Hannah Moore. What an incredible woman and, and all that she accomplished. It, it, seems, it, it seems like she lived like multiple lives. I mean, I don't know how she got it all in in one lifetime. And uh, so deeply moved by her and, and really the lesson I think she can present to evangelical Christians in this day and age as she was navigating a world where she ran with elites who um, maybe the most conservative Christians of her day would look down upon or consider, you know, some people to avoid and arenas in which to avoid, and yet she faithfully seemed to love Jesus Christ and love the Word of God and and simultaneously engage with those who who had a completely and utterly different worldview than she did. So if we, so if we look at the life of Hannah Moore and and all that she was used profoundly by God to accomplish in her lifetime. And, and then we look at the day and age in which we live, this cultural moment we're in with Planned Parenthood and abortion. And, and how what are the lessons we can take from Hannah Moore in, in the current world that we're living in and in our time to serve uh, the Lord and his kingdom uh, in this day and age? What, what are the lessons we can take from Hannah Moore and how to interact with, with things like abortion, the Planned Parenthood videos, and, and maybe we can even get into the Supreme Court decision. And again, this is sure. we could do two or three podcasts over these subjects, but, but just kind of <laughs> beginning with Hannah Moore's life and legacy, how, how should we right. think about this cultural moment? Well, I, I think the first and most striking similarity is is that cultural moment, the world that she lived in, because that her world was so similar to ours um, today it, because, number one, they were facing a huge so, social and moral issue in the form of slavery. Yeah. Yet at the same time, there, were, there was also a radicalization of, 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 of society and culture in the, in the form of the French Revolution, which was a godless, atheistic movement that was... That was uh, affecting the way people viewed these issues and, and, and viewed the world. And so there was, there was this radical philosophy that the culture was steeped in and deep, profound moral issues like slavery and, like, and, and something even more subtle, which was just nominal Christianity, which, was, was really, um, which characterized England at the time. So her day and our day are very, very similar. And then the example that Moore provides, I think, is so instructive because we know some of the other names. We know the name William Wilberforce because of the political accomplish, accomplishments he achieved as a member of parliament. Most of us don't have that kind of position. Or we, we know John Newton, who was, a, who was a, an ex-slave ship captain who became a, a famous minister. Again, most of us some present company excluded, <laughs> don't have that sort of platform. Yeah. But we, we are ordin- most of us are ordinary citizens who have some sphere of influence, and that really is who Hannah Moore was. She started out as someone who was poor and obscure, but uh, who, who had talent as a writer that the people around her cultivated, and then she just ended up being able to use these opportunities and talents in, in so many arenas in, in that, uh, that complicated society she lived in. 
Um, and and it, as you mentioned in introducing her, she did this by being a very faithful, conservative, committed Christian who loved the Bible, who loved her own church, which was the Church of England, um, although she also you know, was part of the evangelical movement within um, the, the state church. So she was, remained committed, and yet anchored in that commitment, uh, reached out to others who believed differently, who lived differently, who had different political and religious and moral views, um, and it was that effective bridge building that helped her and her friends to succeed in bringing about so many social reforms. Yeah, the I, I was telling Josh right before, and, and a couple of the other guys here in our studio, that the sentence that jumped out of the book for me. And, I, and like, if I remember correctly, it was, it was John Newton that told her uh, the, I, to me, it was the, the sentence that jumped and encouraged my heart that bridges get walked on uh, as she was kind of navigating these two worlds and, and picking up a lot of criticism on both sides of um, both sides of, you know, her, her non-believing um, kind of group, kind of being confused about her faith, and and then those who were really conservative, um, kind of cannibalizing um, her relationships and um, her going to the plays and and being friends with the playwrights and the actors and actresses, and uh, it it did you know, and here would be a here would be something I would love to hear you you talk about. Um, one of the things I so appreciate, Karen, about how you carry yourself and how you engage in the discourse is um, I, I just think social media is so painful, um, especially how Christians and evangelicals will uh, oftentimes behave on that medium. And, man, I, I would love for you to chat a bit how we can be um, careful about the way we talk about the pressing cultural moment. So, so let's take uh, abortion and let's take same-sex uh, marriage and, and, and let's talk about how, how we can interact in, in a way that honors the Lord and, and, um, and, and shows our devotion to Christ and the truth, but at the same time walk in a manner worthy of our calling on, say, social media. How can we avoid getting caught up in, in what's been called the culture wars? That's such a great question, and and of course we're all on a learning curve here, and and there aren't going to we're all going to make missteps, and I think that's that's the first and foremost thing to understand. Yet, yet you you know, only in walking forward can we actually have missteps. So it, that that has to be okay. Um, and again, here's a similarity between Moore's world and ours. Of course, we didn't have the internet or the blogosphere, but this is an age. Uh, this is the the new print culture. So there, there were tons and tons of, of pamphlets and broadsheets being printed all the time and circulating. And so, in a sense, there re- it really was uh, there was an inundation of, of ideas, oftentimes anonymously printed and published, and various scurrilous attacks on on one's political or ideological enemies. So, more actually faced a lot of the same kind of of animosity and. Um, uh, Bullying that that, that that Christians often are exposed to, or even unfortunately take part in, and so as we said earlier, there really is nothing new under the sun, and so that really isn't new. But I think the most important thing is to remember that that yes, evil is real and it is powerful, but many of the people who are caught up in such evil have 
supernatural blinders on them. Yeah. And we have to remember that. We have to remember that, you know, but for the grace of God, there go we. And, and that really has to shape the way that we interact with and deal with those who are lost um, or those who are confused by our culture, because, you know, all of us can face um, that kind of confusion or missteps, because th- these are yeah, these are these are times where things are so rapidly changing that we we need to come alongside one another as we figure out how to navigate these very um, these very dangerous waters. Karen, I got a question for you, and I, I love how you brought it up regarding Hannah Moore. Um, thinking about the fact that she didn't have the platform that others had. Uh, she didn't have the, the political clout uh, that others in her time had that she, you know, you described her as someone as just, just being like the rest of us. She's ordinary, common, uh, lacked some of the, some of the influence and power, which I actually think is super encouraging um, mm-hmm. regarding her life and impact. And so what would you say to the mom who's at home with some kids? What would you say uh, to the to the dad who, uh, you know, faithfully works a nine to five and and staring at the face of this cultural moment that's before us and thinks, well, what do I have to offer for this? I mean, I'll, I'll pray in my in my closet, but I I can't really affect change. I, it sounds like what you're saying is that Hannah Moore's life speaks to the contrary. No, exactly. And, you know, she did end up having a, a larger platform. Sure. And even though she was, you know, has been forgotten, she was famous in her day. And that simply isn't going to happen for all of us. But really, the, the incarnation itself, I think, answers that question. Um, that idea of, of embodiment, of just being there, physical presence, there's there's really nothing more important than that. And, and the blogosphere only reinforces that, that it's our real-life communities and our real-life families and our real-life connections where, where we wield the most influence, because those are the people who know us, um, who know us, you know, beyond that that social media face or, or that anonymous handle. Um, and so that that's the real power of the gospel is the power that is displayed in real life, in real community, in our real relationships. Uh, and, and, and that, that bears the kind of fruit that just simply can't be measured. And, um, I hope that's encouraging. To Absolutely. People. It's, it's gotta be Hey, in your recent article in Christianity today, you, you talk about the need to care about the whole created order and not just, uh, to quote you tackle issues. Can you unpack that a little bit? Explain that. Sure, sure. And that actually connects to the last question that you just yeah. asked, because it's in our, you know, the networks of our real lives where we can we can best do that. And, and I, I want to first say that when I wrote that, I really was writing it to myself more than anyone else, because <laughs> sure. I am an issues person. I'm very passionate about certain issues, and I have to remind myself how much one issue connects with another. And, uh, you know, for years, abortion has been my, my passionate issue. And over the years, I have seen how, you know, how, how it's not just being opposed to abortion, but it's helping women through crisis pregnancy centers, through the ministries of the local church, uh, so that they can make good choices for themselves and their babies, or sometimes being after being there afterwards when they're going through um, a post-abortion struggle, and those issues hit on everyone. That you know, we have to remember the man who's in the situation. We yeah. have to remember the extended families, and the circle just keeps going out and out. And 
Um, so over the years, because of my passion about abortion, I've actually been been moved to to work in other areas to be concerned about stewardship of of the earth and 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 re- our resources and and animal welfare, which I learned from Hannah Moore and William Wilberforce, who when they were fighting the evil of slavery, were also at the same time fighting the kind of barbaric behavior that was seen in treating. Uh, animal fights, dog fighting and bullfighting and cockfighting as entertainment. Those kinds of barbaric behaviors aren't contained. Um, anything that dehumanizes in one area is going to bleed over into another. Um, so really we're just talking about the way the gospel reaches into every area of life and just trying trying as fallen human beings to, to bring all those pieces, knit all those pieces together wherever we are. So as as we talk about so we talk about kind of our cultural moment, this cultural moment. I, I think, I think when you even say that now, that that really what people are going to hear, I think that are listening to this, and and maybe even what we're actually talking about here, are really the two big issues. Uh, I think that are kind of right in front of evangelicals, and and I think that's the issue of abortion. And I've so appreciated your zeal for that. I know it's a zeal in our church's heart, um, and was just gave me a lot of joy to hear you talk about the nuances of it, where it's not just the the church can't just condemn abortion and not uh, also seek to help in these other areas. And and that's where Jesus might rebuke those in this day and age who are passionately anti-abortion but unwilling to engage in the other areas. They're going to be more difficult, more long-suffering, require a lot of time and energy uh, to enter that space. And so, but but we're talking about abortion. And then the other issue would be the issue of homosexuality, in particular, uh, same-sex marriage. And so um, can you chat a little bit about how those two issues are the same? How are they different? And then maybe into um, some important ways that Christians in the church can respond to and address um, those issues. I know you've already hit some of that, but I'd love to hear you flesh it out just a little bit more. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's so interesting, but of course not coincidental that these two issues are staring us in the face right now. They, They seem like two separate issues, and I think I think in wisdom, in some ways, we need to, to uh, address them separately in, in some ways. But of course, as Christians, we know that, that both abortion and gay marriage are, are attacks on the created order as, as God um, designed it, um, and, and, and they really can't be separated in that sense. Through the marriage of a man and a woman, we procreate the very image of God in both abortion and gay marriage um, destroy that. They either prevent it entirely or break the image of God. And so so we know that, yet what we're seeing uh, in our culture is really more, you know, what we're facing are the symptoms of that broken order. Um, and sometimes when you're sick, you just have to, you have to attack one symptom at a time. Yeah. And so in that respect, I, you know, I think we do need to, to be wise. Um, and it's interesting, as I was thinking about this, this, this program and talking about this issue and how they're different, I think it's really easy for society to see the harmful effects of abortion. I mean, even people who are pro-choice and support legalized abortion do so usually in recognition of the harm that abortion does to a woman and to yeah. an unborn baby. They might just think that there are positives to outweigh that harm. Uh, it's very, it, it's almost impossible, and the Planned Parenthood videos are, are helping with this. It's almost almost impossible to deny the harm. But when it comes to gay marriage, 
um, unless those blinders have been removed, it's really hard in a tangible, concrete way to see, you know, in a, in a visual, visceral sense, the harm. Yeah. But, of course, the harm is there. And so we, as, you know, I think it's going to be a much longer-term battle for us. Um, we have to be ready to pick up the pieces uh, in those relationships when when that that faulty foundation has been been built and and when the edifice crumbles we need to be there to pick up those pieces and how we act now and how we interact with those who are deceived about homosexual love will determine whether or not we are able to be effective when those when the the pieces crumble if that makes sense no it does makes perfect sense makes perfect sense um, I would love to hear you talk about um, really the distinction between kind of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of America and what happens when we muddle those two things. Mm, great question. Of course, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. This is not our home. And I think remembering that and keeping that in our in the forefront will change everything about the way, sure. or should change everything about the way we interact. This isn't, you know, Nick, it even goes back to the to our discussion about you know, the, the, the way that people attack us on, on the blogosphere. It's really not personal. And in that sense, I think we have to understand that, um, that abortion and gay marriage and even, you know, even the loss losses that we might have of our religious liberty, they aren't personal losses. We aren't losing. Um, our fu- you know, we, we, those of, we may be losing for our future, future generations, but that needs to be why we're fighting for these things, not for ourselves, but for, um, for the advancement of the gospel and for, for freedom, but not for ourselves personally. Um, so we want to advance the social good, as much as we can, because God has placed us here. He's placed us in a, in a democracy. Um, he's placed us here where we have the freedom to do this. And I think if we don't exercise that talent, so to speak, that he's given us, then we're going to be held accountable for it. But we also have to remember it's not really our battle, and the victory is not for us. Um, it's really just, you know, it's, it's just for the glory of God. Yeah. And the victory is his, not ours. Yeah, amen. Well, Karen, it's been great just chatting with you. So encouraged. I know. Yeah, thank you so much. Coming back and seeing this. I, I was unaware. I was on sabbatical, I think, when they booked you on. So when I saw coming back that we were finally going to get to chat in a different medium than the one we normally do, I was I was excited to hop on and hear um, your insight and just so appreciate um, how you carry yourself and the words you're writing and and to see in, in the sense of God's design partnering in a very real way uh, for the kingdom of God in this day, in this age, um, uh, to, to really kind of spend our years doing the same things that our brothers and sisters that went before us did also to see the kingdom of God established and seen all the more clearly. And so it's been a joy to chat with you today. My my wife actually um, knew I was having this, so she's, my phone's been blowing up. She wants to audit one of your classes. And so uh, maybe later <laughs> we can figure out how to make that work. So uh, anyway, thank you so much for coming on with us. It's been a, a blessing to, to chat with you today. And uh, next time I'm out that way, love to um, see you face to face and and, and chat some more. So um, God bless you. Okay, if you've you. been listening to the podcast show, we're glad that you were with us today. We'll be back next month with a whole list of other things to discuss. Uh, we will chat with you then. 